you can now listen to Conning the Con ad-free on Apple subscription and buymeacoffee.com forward slash Conning the Con. But that is not all you will find there. I've got two little words for you. Tonka Trilogy. If you know, you know, right? And if you don't, keep listening to Conning the Con and it will all become clear soon enough. And if you want a sneak peek, head over to at Conning the Con on Instagram and get a look at the lighter side of this, well, very heavy con story. Simply click the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts for ad-free and bonus content. Or if you aren't an Apple user, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash conning the con, where on top of that ad-free and bonus content, you can access exclusive videos. You'll find all the links, as always, in the show notes. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Hello, my tribe of true crime addicts. It's Sarah from Conning the Con podcast here. And I imagine you and I have quite a bit in common. I am a complete true crime podcast junkie. And having had the opportunity to go to CrimeCon 2021 and meet all my fellow podcasters on Podcast Row, well, I was like a kid in a candy store. Not to mention all of the incredible speakers, exhibitors, authors that were also spilling the tea there all weekend long. So don't miss out on the next Crime Con. It's in June on the 11th and 12th in London 2022. Trust me, you don't want FOMO. Don't forget to use the code CTHEC at checkout to get your exclusive Conning the Con discount. That's C-the-C. You know, like calling the con. I can't wait to meet you all there. Something is creeping Don't follow it down. You know, one thing that I've been endlessly astounded by when I shared Emma's story with others is the overwhelming number of people who actually just aren't shocked by it. And nine times out of ten have their own con story. It might not have happened to them specifically, it might be to their neighbour or their father or their friend, and it's often something that they haven't shared with many people. But wouldn't it be great if we could shine the light in the dark corners where the con artists operate? I think the more stories that we share, the more techniques we're going to expose, and the harder it is for con artists to hide in those dark recesses. 
So I'd like to start this episode with an appeal for your help. If you've been conned and having listened to Emma's story, feel empowered to share yours, we would love to hear from you. The contact details are in our show notes. Coming up in this episode. When someone's arrested, you feel like you can breathe, like you can take a moment and go, oh my goodness, this is over. But actually, it's only just begun. And that justice process is a long, exhausting ping pong game of back and forth. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Shadow dark upon the wall, moving slow and stretching toward her hands, hold them up that's cold. Shadow dark upon the wall, moving slow and stretching tall and up to the mountains her gaze is We left the last episode with Emma reeling from the news that Andrew Tonks, the man who had tried to defraud her out of $300,000 and then fled the country, had been arrested on landing in Christchurch Airport in New Zealand. And that day is where we pick back up on Emma's story. So the day went on and at 4.30, I think it was, or 5 o'clock, my phone rings again. And it's a detective from the Christchurch police station. She says, hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm ringing on behalf of Andrew Thompson, I think she said. And she said, I'm sorry to let you know that Andrew won't be meeting you tomorrow. Um, He wanted me to let you know because he is um, uh, being arrested. And I think at that point, I actually laughed like a crazy person and <laughs> just went, <laughs> like, I was just like, <laughs> I know. And she's like, oh, I said, I'm the one that put him there. And she goes, oh, okay. And <laughs> then she said to me, so you don't want to be his, uh, like, next of kin or, like, contact person's like ah no if he gets shivved in jail I do not want his ashes or anything to do with him that was definitely nothing I wanted and she was she was good she said okay I'll give you a call back um maybe later I'll just go read the files again and and find out more and about an hour later Lisa calls back again she then said to me, okay, I can see what's going on here and I understand that you are the main victim in this case. Uh, One of the things she talked about at that point was there there was going to be a court hearing the next day, something I didn't understand or know much about, and that he he would be in front of a judge and they would look at things like bail. And at that point, my heart dropped and I went, oh, God, what if he gets out? Like, how come he can get away with this? And she said to me, what about your safety? Are you worried? I was like, hell fucking yeah, I'm worried. I do not want to have this person any chance of being near me at all. And so she put things in place with what the restrictions could be. And it was another 24 hours of a waiting game. And we had to wait the next day until he went to court. So the arrest was somewhat bittersweet. The last few months, Emma had been consumed with working towards the arrest of Andrew with the police, but now it was tainted with the fear of his release on bail. 
It was to be another sleepless night for Emma, and she wasn't alone. There was someone else who was experiencing a sleepless night that night, someone who had been completely blindsided by Andrew's arrest. The day after Andrew was caught and was in jail, I get this phone call from Tom, and Tom was definitely a victim, and he he was in absolute shock when he talked to me. He couldn't believe they had been arrested, that what they were saying was true. So I had to set the story straight and tell him why he was arrested and actually who Andrew was. And he was just like, I'm so sorry this has happened to you, as not to me. Andrew had asked to use Tom's address for his bail application. And Tom had actually had refused at that stage. He was not actually interested in being his fallback option after he began to realize who Andrew was and what he was doing and that he was the next person to be conned. If you recall, once the restaurant deal had been stopped in its tracks, Andrew had convinced Tom to invest in a new property deal. But Tom had refused to transfer the $50,000 deposit until he met Andrew again face to face. And so Tom was to be Andrew's first port of call on landing back in New Zealand. It was definitely a sliding doors moment for Tom. Had Andrew made it to that meeting with Tom the day he landed in Christchurch instead of being arrested, his bank account would have been a cool $50,000 lighter. Tom said he felt like he was definitely 2.2 seconds away from being Andrew Tonks' next victim. Over those few months between when I found out who Andrew was to when he got arrested, I've been working with Detective Matt around the criminal charges that he would be facing. And I got to a point where he said to me, there's around 12 different criminal charges that they had established, and it was growing. So my expectations at that point were that, oh, he might actually get quite a few years for this. What does a con man actually get in New Zealand? I was thinking 10 to 15, you know, just a casual 10 to 15 years, and that he won't be able to do it to anybody else. And then when you start to dig deeper in the justice system, and how that all works, you realize that just because he did all those crimes doesn't mean he's going to do any of that time for them. Finally, Monday comes around and the judge has looked at what he's, he's done in the past and he decides that, no, you are not suitable for bail because he offended last time when he was on bail. At that point when he was refused bail, Life got a little bit easier. It was a few days after that that I got on a plane and I flew to London to see Sarah. And in many ways, I kind of parked what had happened from the court. I knew that he wasn't going anywhere, that nothing could be done in this time frame, and it was a waiting game. I was still exhausted and run down, and I remember getting to London and, and just kind of collapsing. And we had this vision even then to record the story. And we did, we captured moments of it, but it was exhausting. It was like soul-sucking pain talking about everything that he'd done to me. And now it's it's a year plus later and I can sit here and share a lot about what's happened, but also a lot of it I blanked out because I don't want to remember what he did. I look back at photos of myself then and I see it on my face, I see it on my body And it did take a while as we went through that court process to unwind that. Now Andrew was in remand, the court process would start to unfold. And it 
as I began to understand, it's this kind of ping pong game between the prosecutors and defense, figuring out what charges are going to stick and what they're going to bring to to the judge and if it's going to go to trial. So we have all these kind of pre-court hearings to establish where this will go. He still applies for bail again in August. And even then, I remember being away. I was actually over in, in Europe again with work that I've been doing. And I've been very lucky to be asked to go to Europe and travel as a physio to a pro golfer of New Zealand. And it was like the most surreal moments to go from the lows of that year to then traveling the world and experiencing this most phenomenal other world. I remember talking to you, Sarah, about this being in in Prague on this immaculate golf course and then walking around the streets, the cobbled streets of Prague and thinking, I am here and he is looking at four walls right now and that is his world. And this is this was justice for me in that moment was that my world would continue and grow and be better than before and his would never continue in this trajectory. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. <laughs> We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. <laughs> Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. <laughs> Avoid elephants. <laughs> what they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. So it's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. Yeah, tag- <laughs> You can find Guilty Greeny on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greeny challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Okay, so it's Sunday, January 19th. 19th. 
For nearly a year, my friend Aria dated men she met online. Lots of duds, disappointments, and some disasters. But then along came Mordecai, and Aria fell hard. I opened the door. There was a woman standing there, and she said, I think you know someone named Mordecai Horowitz? And I said, oh, you better come in. In 2019, a friend of mine fell for a sensitive millionaire named Mordecai. And then she found out she wasn't the only one. It was way too good to be true. I'm Kathleen Goldhar, the host of Do You Know Mordecai from USG Audio. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. From Andrew's arrest in June, there are a few refused bail hearings along the way, and he also has the opportunity to enter his plea, which he does, and it's a plea of not guilty. So it isn't until November that his case actually gets to the next step, and it's something called a sentence indication. The purpose of which is to give the defendant the opportunity to hear how many charges he'll actually be facing. So even though Detective Matt had pulled together a really impressive list of around 12 charges prior to the arrest, that didn't mean that he'd be charged with every single one of them. So the sentence indication is designed to set the expectations about the amount of time he could serve if he goes to trial and is found guilty. Detective Matt was going to be there, and the night before, he messages me and says he's been pulled to Invercargill and won't be at court. And being tough old me, I go, that's be fine, I'll come along, I'll be okay. And I turn up to court, and I start shaking. And I feel this overwhelming anger being in that space. I knew he wasn't going to be there, which, you know, in person. And then in that time frame, he'd been transferred from Christchurch Men's Prison to Invercargill Prison. But I still didn't know what it was going to be like to actually see him. And so he turns up on the camera and live stream. And then I realized there's three cameras pointing into the courtroom and that he could probably see me as part of that. And I get so angry sitting in my seat and no one's there because I didn't think that I needed anybody. And it was the biggest mistake, I think, at that point. And the judge the judge says right at the start, which I kind of laugh, he goes, okay, so who are we actually talking to? Is it Andrew Tonks or Andrew Thompson? <laughs> and I remember being like, well, that's ironic, isn't it? It's not even clear from the judge's point of view. And the judge starts to talk, and he's so matter-of-fact and um, and emotional with it, but but really clear. And I hear him start to talk about victim Ferris, and I realize that's me, and that the charges that were there for is actually the pecuniary advantage in a special relationship, the one against me. There was minimal talk of the other ones. They were already dropping away at that point. It becomes clear that I am the main victim that they're going to use in this case. The judge starts to go back through all of the previous convictions he's had, his previous history and in Australia as well as in New Zealand. And it paints a pretty clear picture of who this person is. And then the judge comes into the charges against him for me. And the biggest one is that pecuniary advantage in a special relationship. And I'm like sitting there boiling. And then he starts to go through 
why this is so important. The deed of acknowledgement of debt that was created and used as part of that crime. The judge went through all the stepping stones of the money laundering. The judge showed that the money had been transferred to the alcohol company and that the money had gone backwards. So he talked about the money laundering, but it was kind of brushed over where where we were thinking that was a huge, huge charge. And that could be up to 14 years imprisonment, I think, for in New Zealand. There was the lease motor vehicle that had the forged documents that he'd used that restaurant's financial statements for. And then even the forged documents for the rental property. There's so many charges here. But in the end, it all washes away and it all comes down to what they think they can get for a reduced sentence. So the starting point was 24 months of jail time. And that was for the theft of a special relationship. So that was the amount there. And then the judge said there'd be another 12 months for the document and the money laundering, and then another, what they call, lift for six months for rental, property, and vehicle. And that came to 42 months. He then added three months for, for the documents that had forged and three months of previous convictions. And then nine months discount for money being recovered. And that would leave 40 months, pretty much, for imprisonment. And then what they say is if he does plead guilty, they reduce that 25%. So it goes from 40 months to 30 months, only if he pleads guilty. And he needs to let them know within five days. And that's November. And it wasn't till just after my birthday in December, the middle of December, that finally I hear that he's pled guilty. But it doesn't mean that he gets that sentence. It is just an indication, and we still have to go through this next part of the court process. But one big relief is I don't have to go to trial. I don't have to stand up there and be cross-examined and all the stuff that can come along with that process. It was going to be, clearly he was going to jail and stay in jail, but for how long was still not clear. And it takes a full 10 months from the day Andrew's arrested until Emma finally gets her day in court at his sentencing. As I live in London, I couldn't be there, but I had made him a promise that she'd call me straight away with the verdict. As anyone that knows me will tell you, patience is not a virtue of mine. So I was beside myself waiting to get this phone call. Today is the 3rd of March and it is a huge day because this is the day that Andrew got sentenced. And um, I've been down in Invercargill at the um, courtrooms down there with the detective and with my good friend, Sasha. It's been a big day. He has now been sentenced to two years and four months in jail. Yeah, and he may, he may he's already served quite a bit and it probably still equates to around um, another, another year in jail and to go from now because he's been in jail for a while and not been in, um, got bail. So it was the most satisfying um, experience. I read my victim impact statement and that I didn't know if I was going to be up, feeling up to doing that. But, man, it was so good to actually get out there and share it. 
because he, as the detective said, he couldn't look me in the eye at all. I ne- never got any eye contact at all. Like he looked down, and I, could, I was like staring at him. And the only time I looked up was when the judge was sentencing him. He actually put his head up and looked at him there. It was definitely a shock when he came in. It was a real shock feeling having him there and seeing it. Yeah, and and like like I was starting to shake from the, like a few minutes beforehand before I got in there. But it kind of really helped. Them. Like I had my friend Sasha with me there. And the last, yeah. she's like, we've been talking all the way down, and it was kind of like, yep, sweet, distracted. And I'm like, it's only five minutes before we get there. And she's like, should we play a song? And I was like, yes, I need some music, something. And she plays, um, she goes, what about Hustle from by Pink? And I was like, is that my perfect con man song? So okay. we cranked that up before we went in there, and then moving into it, you know, seeing him come through. And I wasn't sure, he was standing there for a long time before the judge kind of came in. And the the judge was absolutely phenomenal amazing i can't describe how how good he was the prosecutor said to me look you're able to read the statement if the judge allows it uh, andrew had already read mine as well he'd read my statement before then i found that out afterwards so he knew what was coming too so it was quite satisfying and what the detective matt said and sasha said they looked at him the whole time and he did not look up in one moment so as matt said i had the power in that situation it was all with me Sometimes during the victim impact statement, I did look over because I like hammered the points home, and yeah. um, and I had points where I wavered, where I was like, "Oh, this is going to crack me. This is going to crack me up," and it didn't. It didn't in the end. I like I got there, and it was like those moments that I was really sad and expressed it, but I was also able to tell him that he was a sociopath and that his parents thought that too. That was the first time that Sasha saw him cry finally. And the other one was when my, I mentioned my kids and how much pain it caused for that. So I don't think it's remorse. I just kind of feel like if it was true tears and not crocodile tears, that's satisfying. Yeah. And as Detective Matt said, he's never heard a judge be so strongly against a defendant, which says a lot for a judge. But he was just like, you know, if, yeah. if you don't know when a con man is a con man or woman because they don't have con men tattooed on their forehead is what he said. And they prey on the emotional uh, emotional uh, manipulation. And uh, it was, you know, he called it heinous, his behavior and what he's done, like the crimes. And one of the things that really got me, that broke me down in the court was when he said, there's nothing that Miss Ferris did to deserve this. And, yeah. you know, that it was complete. And like, that's, it's, it's so, like that whole process of being at the court, reading a statement out and then hearing this judge go, first of all, he said, I wish I could give him longer as he was sentencing him. I mean, that's a big one. He went back yeah. through the whole crimes again that he did in November, like all the, the story of what he'd done in, in, in Tasmania. And he's like, this is it. I'm going to read this out because it is obvious that this is a criminal um, pattern here. It's a big deal for them to both have to do reparation and do time in jail. But I think that's the way the, detective, the judge was kind of like, um, I can't give you longer. He wanted to give him longer, but he couldn't. And so it's like, I'll make sure you get that bit back. Judge say anything about whether he'd reoffend? Oh yeah, he literally said um, he doesn't believe that he will he will ever be rehabilitated, but he hopes that he'll prove me wrong and that you do get the help you need in jail and you will make that make the difference. But he was like, I don't think you will though, and that was my last comment as well. I don't think we ever change in it, you know, in my victim impact statement. I have a huge weight off my shoulders, better than I expected. Yeah, it is. It's the best result overall, and I, the fact that the judge said he wished he'd give him longer. The way he described it was just brilliant. On leaving court that day, Detective Matt handed Emma a letter from Andrew. It was essentially four pages of crocodile tears. The only thing worth mentioning were his repeated promises to repay her every single cent that he owed her. 
And I should also add in here that on top of the 28 months prison time, the judge also ruled that Andrew would need to repay Emma almost $70,000 in reparation. It was, however, another empty promise, and his true intentions became all too evident when he appealed the reparation and had them reduced to a fraction of what he had stolen from her. So on reflection, that sentencing day, it was all a bit of a blur for Emma. It wasn't until recently, while we were pulling this whole podcast together in fact, that she had the opportunity to sit down with her friend Sasha and get her perspective on what happened that day in court. If you recall, Sasha and Joe were the ones that managed to dig the dirt on Andrew and expose the truth to Emma all those months ago. So it really did feel like it was the perfect circle of life, that it was Sasha who was there at court as Emma's support person. You were my support and rock when we went down to the courtroom in Invercargill when mm. he was finally being sentenced, he'd pled guilty. Mm. And what was it like for you coming along and what did you notice about that morning and that whole being in court it felt like coming full circle and I was so happy that you wanted me to be there with you to support you because it really felt like something we had journeyed together as friends and as sisters together and being able to create some closure around that. I thought you were incredibly brave to stand up in court and to speak your truth. I thought it was just so courageous to give it a voice and to speak to him in that court was the first time I'd ever seen him in person. Like I'd never, like when it all sort of blew up, I'd never seen a photo of him. So it was even, I think there was that detachment when we, when I got sent through an image of him and that he'd been a convict, I didn't know what he looked like. And then so coming face to face with him in the courtroom of actually seeing him, someone's that broken and that twisted that they could operate like that, that could create so much damage in someone's life and in their children's life yeah so it was heartbreaking coming with you it created closure and I was really inspired by your courageousness and willingness to stand up and to speak your truth and I think with these the story that's going to go even more public again it's an inspiration to be able to show your vulnerability to the world so that other people can hear this message because it can happen and it can happen to anyone and you're not going to believe it because it's so unbelievable. Yeah, so true. Can you remember his demeanour on the day? I remember feeling like he really, my felt sense of him is he didn't want to be there. It was like he was hiding energetically in the courtroom Although he's quite a big man, he felt very small in the courtroom. I felt like he had a lot of shame, a lot of wanting to hide and not really face up to or hear the damage that he had caused. And you, he didn't look up at me at all. I remember you saying there was two points along when I did my victim impact statement that he either changed his body or, or got upset or something. Can you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, he was crying. He was crying when you were doing that his head was very low and you could see tears he was wiping away tears from his eyes you know one would hope that your ability to be able to tell him that to his face might get him to reflect and change maybe 
It's interesting because I always find it interesting, people's stories and where they end up in life. And from what you've told me, he had a pretty normal upbringing, so I don't understand why he's ended up the way that he's ended up. But I'm sure there's there's reasons and why he is like he is. Yeah, I always think there's possibility and potentiality to change, but whether he does or not, who knows. We don't know what will happen once Andrew Tonks leaves prison, but I tend to side with the judge on this one and wish that the law could have imposed a longer sentence to reflect that this was not his first rodeo. At the time we're recording this, it's November in 2020. So where is Andrew Tonks right now? Currently, he's still in Invercargill prison and it looks like there'll be a a, a hearing uh, for parole next month for him in December. So I don't know when he'll be released just yet. It should still be next year sometime. Whether it's a few more months, I think that's maybe all we get. I don't think he'll be out for Christmas. I feel like I got justice from the sense that time was taken away from him. It doesn't feel like it was enough, though, for what he did. And maybe it never will. And I think what I'm nervous about is that not for me or for my family, but the fact that he's going to do it again and that there's more people out there doing that all the time and how much comment permeate through our society and yet we don't talk about this. And so I feel like my my fear is around that somebody else is, is going to be the next victim and what could be done to stop that. I don't think justice is ever going to be served because he's never going to do good in the world. What I want is that people feel okay to talk about this, that there is less shame, blame, and I guess the impact of that trauma lessens because of it, because we can connect, we can communicate, and the burden isn't carried by just one person anymore. And that comes down to us as a society, feeling safe enough to talk about these things. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing, because this is this is scary. But the more people that can feel like we can share and connect and help somebody recover, because they probably look from the outside with what I'm going through, or anybody else that's been through court or abuse, and they, they might not like they got their shit together. But really, this is a long process. And I'm never going to forget what he's done to me. But I will move on and I'll move into a better space. But justice is something that I don't think we have right in this country. And if you had the opportunity to speak to Andrew Tonks directly now, what would you say to him? Just don't. Don't do it again. Don't do it. Don't hurt somebody. Don't hurt someone like you hurt me. It's not fair. Nobody deserves it. If you only have one life, why? Why would you choose it to do that? Gaze 
If you liked our story, please share with family and friends and like, subscribe and review so others can learn from my lessons. If you or anyone you know has been affected by something similar, please reach out for help. You are not alone. We've included some links in our show notes. Conning the Con was made with the input of Dr. Sophie Muir and the original music is by the talented Aroha Min. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing. I'm Sarah Ferris. Join me and my co-host, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program, Catherine Schweit. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've watched the reality of poor planning. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I really sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Our hope is that together we can stop the cries of never again fading into until next time. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things actually. 
To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.